live on Junkhead. We've got, so I see Zara Jane on the Zoom, but then like on Instagram, I think it's Angie. So is it Angie from Sarasota? Would that be correct? Angie from New Jersey. I started the Zara Lane Jane as my like writer's name. So I could be like, okay. a when I North Dakota for the pipeline protest, I had met this gentleman and his name was um, Conrad. No, no, he called people Conrad. Oh my God, what was his name? I'm getting a blur right now. I'll think of it. But he helped me develop like a character name as like an anonymous piece for myself. And we wrote a little piece together up there and uh, that was my inspiration. So Zara Lane Jane is like my J.K. Rowling, Harry Potter style persona where I can just put things that don't identify me as Angela. All right, all right. I uh, I know the uh, world of uh, operating with some degree of anonymity as far as uh, art projects because I have like a couple of things that I'll do where I just kind of release it out into the world kind of anonymously, like on like Reddit or something like that. See how it plays without any, uh, without any judgment on anything else uh, around the, uh, the material. It's, it's kind of fun when you can operate like that on the internet. I mean, I, I grew up a little bit before like the internet started to really become mainstream. And it's one of the things that I like kind of harken back to as I operate on the internet these days, is, uh, you know, the internet. And I think it's gotten popular with like Fenstas and there's a really great, I'll give you a great example of this. There was a, and I think it was a group of people, but I'm not positive on it, but I think it was like a group of teachers and this was like mid 2000s and it was all anonymous. There were no, and it was all fake names new used, So you can never like trace it back to anybody, but it was all of these like teachers just venting about how annoying the kids were in their school. So like, and it became like a really popular blog where like they like, it was obviously under fake names, but like they would tell, like, I remember there was like the adventures of Billy and he would like go around spitting into people's backpacks and they were like writing about how they couldn't get this kid to stop doing this shit. Yeah. It, it was a, a wild blog and like people used to kind of like go after it because it like get a little spicy from time to time. And it's just like one, it's like anonymous. So it doesn't have any connection back to the original people, but two, like these teachers probably need a space to vent and a space to kind of get all of that out. So it's not, you know, popping out and relationships or heaven forbid the classroom. Yeah. I had one of those um, sites I, I tapped into when I, lived in New Jersey. I worked at a restaurant and I remember on my downtime, I'd read these things on this site called Fuck My Life. <laughs> oh, I remember. Oh, fuck my, fuck my Life. Oh, that was so popular back in the day. That whole era of like mid 2000s internet and, you know, you had Fuck My Life, which was like very hilarious. And what was it? Last Night's Text. Oh, Did yeah. No, was... oh, maybe I, I've seen a few of them, but I think that was more just like a meme thing that I, I can pull off the top of my head. No, that, that was like a big site in the mid-2000s. It might have been last night drunk text. I can't remember what it was, but it was like a whole like kind of web like blog or something like that of just those, like these different screen caps of people's like text that they had sent. And I mean, it got spicy as hell because people were like getting drunk and texting their exes and like, yeah. it, it got wild. It got wild. And I mean, I said, you can't get enough of that stuff. <laughs> no, no. I mean, that's why like of all the things of that era, like those websites really didn't survive unless it's in mean format, but world star hip hop is still alive and strong to this day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, like, World Star. I I had to like stop following it on my phone 
because like it just gets so raunchy and ratchet you would just kind of lose yourself in the sauce as they say like i would just would end up in these weird holes on that website speaking of websites and stuff like that i know that you promoted your um your paintings as well as i believe you're also doing children's books and stuff like that nowadays presenting your art in a couple of different formats so why don't you uh, kind of talk about your uh, experience getting into art how i know you started in photography and then went over here so maybe a little yeah sure I remember as a kid, um, my grandpa, he gave a camera. It was one of those early exposure instant picture cameras. And, oh, like the um, old, like, Polaroids? Yeah, one of those. Those big clunkers. And, oh, my uh, God. I, I hope you have that because that thing's probably worth so much money nowadays. No, I don't. I have oh. no idea. No idea. But I, I, I want to say. Like a, that's like a hipster crown jewel right there. I know. Yeah, that's so that's like where I started. And um, my grandma, she liked art a lot. I remember, well, I lived with my grandparents for a while in between like being adopted and my parents is in custody of my sister and I and she had gorgeous paintings in her house. I mean, I would say that she was an art collector. I mean, she had really nice stuff. So I guess just being around it as a kid was uh, the first inspiration, you know, getting to practice it as a young age was good. And then um, I had this one lady, she was a good friend of my mom's who was a hairdresser up in New Jersey. And she loved art. I mean, she would weave baskets and paint and she just loved art. And she would take my sister and I out and about her and her husband. And uh, one of the places that they took us was the Philadelphia Museum of Fine Art. And I remember going to the gift shop there afterwards and I bought a sketchbook, I guess you could say like a tablet size, modern day tablet size sketchbook. One of the featured artists that they had at the museum at the time was Degas. And he was a, a sketch artist that would sketch what was around him. And he was around dancers, ballerinas. And so oh, yeah. the cover of this the sketchbook was one of his sketches of a, of a, of a ballerina. So I, I know this exact dude. I, cause like random interjection, but related okay. to it, uh, for the podcast listeners, like most like little kids, like were like, had like sports figures and stuff like that up on the walls. And like, as a little, like seven year old boy, like I was like thoroughly enthusiastic to get like Monet paintings on my wall and like Van oh Gogh and like uh, I had Mona Lisa, I had a, uh, I think I had a Matisse too as a little kid. Oh yeah? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I can dig it. So you get this sketchbook. Written like some free writing things, poems. So you're kind of creating it all different platforms almost. Yeah, and that's actually where the children's book got written in too. Long story short, it got thrown out through uh, some life what was I saying? The children's book was in this sketchbook. And yeah, I was, uh, I was, I guess, aware enough at the time to know to just like keep a, a good track of my works and stuff. So I had taken a picture of each page. So uh -huh. I had a digital copy at the time I'd done it. So thank God I did because I still have it now, obviously. But that's a really cool book. Uh, it's a children's story inspired by a true event. It's called Puppies Like Muffins 2, and it's about sharing. And um, my two dogs, Leo and Sammy. This is the one that's up on YouTube, right? Yes, yes. I also have it loaded on Instagram. Um, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, there. actually, real quick, um, what's your social media? Let's give that a shout on, out on the pod so uh, the listeners can uh, check that out if they want while they're listening. Uh, my Instagram is Ange in Sunshine eight eight, and uh, my Fine Art America is um, my full name Angela Celapina, and my blog is zarlanejane.blogspot.com, and my Twitter handle is uh, a Celapina underscore RVA, and that's okay. acronym for Richmond, Virginia. So that's where I started the Twitter was when I lived up there. 
Hell yeah. All right. So listeners, you can check out some of that stuff and kind of uh, get an idea of what her artwork is. Definitely want to get some traffic to uh, your social media. Random interjection. Silipina and like, so are you born in New Jersey or born in Florida? I was born in New Jersey. Silipina is an Italian name. That is so Italian. It might be like legendary Italian. Like that, that sounds so Italian. It might as well be like dripping with olive oil. And I appreciate that. That's so cool. My great grandparents, uh, my great grandfather's name was Constantine. So that's even more like heavy sweat, deep root stuff right there. Is it Northern or Southern Italian? Um, I want to say Northern. Northern. Okay. That that makes sense because, like, I was gonna say I'm actually um, a quarter Cherokee Indian, so I'm more Indian than I am Italian, probably. I, I didn't feel do it. The, I, I could see that. Yeah. I I, I could definitely I see that because you have a very similar facial structure. Because I have like a lot of Cherokee Indian in my family, especially on like my uh-huh. uh, paternal grandmother's side. Like my my so, grandmother. If you were to see her in public, she would look like a black person. Like, that's how dark she was. She was just yeah. incredibly dark. Um, my mom's side of the family is just all white, German, and English. <laughs> so I, I got the uh, the lighter side of the fair on that one. Northern Italy is more like traditional Europe. So you have more like French and like that those kind of features, light skin, dark hair, that kind of thing. And the further that you go south into Italy, the darker the skin gets. And it's because they, like Southern Italians, traded more with like Africa. Yes. And so they're like cultures mixed together. And then you have like Spanish too, because Spain's like right over there. So there's like that big like mixing pot of like italian culture like early like late period roman shit and then like the african culture still going and then like the spanish like kingdoms that were like kind of popping off and subsequently you have you have culture intermixed from sicily Um, yeah yeah well yeah sicily is a an island off of uh italy and uh they uh sicilian too Sicilians are great. I ha- actually have a couple of uh, New Jersey Sicilian friends, and they're 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 a type and a half. Uh, yeah. Have you ever? I know he's not Sicilian, but have you ever seen uh, True Romance? No. With uh, Christopher Walken, and he plays mm-hmm. like this. Like I think he's like a Sicilian mob boss. He plays such a good character, but like the best scene in the movie by far is him talking to uh, Dennis Hoffman, who's mm-hmm. playing like this cop character. And like Christopher Walken's like, Sicilians are born liars. A man's got 32 tells, woman's got 27. Mm-hmm. And he just goes on this long rant about how like Sicilians are like naturally good at lying and all this shit. And it is one of my favorite favorite movie speeches of all time it goes so hard in the fucking paint it's like written by tarantino i guess he had like a sicilian friend and just basically like ripped the conversation straight from that dude's mouth and put it into the movie (laughs) i'll have to watch it thanks for the thanks for the heads up about a good good sicilian show (laughs) it's it's a pretty good movie it's a very very like 1990s but good movie those nonetheless those times were when we had the best movies made uh it was also a weird time for films because there's a lot of like schlock that got made because that was like that was like that time period where like hollywood seemed to be recovering from the cocaine abuse in the 80s and so it was just like let's see like just pumping out films like oh uh, <laughs> yeah oh yeah like um I cannot remember his name, but he was a Hollywood producer that was like producing with Jerry Bruckheimer back in the days. Mm -hmm. And like, they were responsible for like 
Bad Boys and Crimson Tide and like all of these like really big Top Gun, all of these like huge successful movies. Bruckheimer obviously is still alive, but the other dude, Don Simpson, that is his name. There you go. He and like rest in peace, not trying to like piss on anybody's grave, but he also died with the most drug substances that has ever been recorded in a human body. Jesus Christ. Yeah, like you think like like you know like rock star or somebody like that or some kind of like crazy artist or something like that. No, nah, it's a guy who's like producing movies and just on like an eight ball of cocaine a day. <laughs> just no, they they literally were he was so addicted to cocaine that they told him they were like his doctor said this they were like so in order to get you off of cocaine we're going to get you addicted to other drugs so that you will yeah. want to do the drugs more than you want to do cocaine <laughs> and on, like yeah yeah and like any when he day. died over that. Huh? i said i'd take cocaine over that any day <laughs> yeah no for sure and like he there's a good argument that like he was fine until they like took his coke away from him not trying to be like pro cocaine or anything but I like cocaine. I, I smoke it <laughs> i i would never i've never freebased i've only like tried it up the nose like i i i i, I do want to like because i do comedy so i would like to eventually like go the richard Pryor route and see like what mm -hmm. happens but like I got to get more successful before I like nodding out in like a Beverly Hills apartment. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you can come up uh, here. We'll introduce you. We'll get, we'll get you oh, the right. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, and okay. So that, that is a good little segue because yeah. obviously you live in Florida now. I'm mm -hmm. sure you're aware of the Florida man memes. No. Really? Really? Oh my god. So like it started as like I'll give you a little backstory for this just to kind of so we can go further here. Mm -hmm. So it started as like a weird Twitter thing in like 2010, 2011. In reality, there's a legal purpose for it because mm -hmm. I don't I think there's a law in Florida that says that like they can't use like somebody's like full name in like an article until mm -hmm. so, like they've been prosecuted. I don't I don't know the exact specifics. I'm not too sure on that part. Mm -hmm. But it's one of the reasons that I'm sure you've seen it as a resident of Florida. Like when you read about like a crime and somebody got arrested or something like that, it's like Florida man does this or oh. Florida uh-huh yeah 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 all right i got you there uh-huh so there is a huge huge internet subculture entirely devoted to going through different newspapers <laughs> all over florida and finding the weirdest florida man articles yeah and like the, i like mean there i said that's like top entertainment right there yeah yeah and i mean like some of them are insane like some of the things that are like like that you see would just blow your mind as a headline mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll be honest um my parents are the type of people from the midwest where like and i'm not hating on florida i actually do appreciate it a lot but like that was our vacation when i was a kid is we would just go to florida it would just be yeah. a different I, I feel like I've, I've, I've been there so many times, it's ridiculous. And I, I, I've been up to, like, Destin and shit like that, too. Like, just all over the place. Y'all produce a certain type. I gotta be honest. We're, I think that Florida is, like, a whole other planet. So you were explaining about Sarasota and Florida and all that fun stuff. Yeah, Sarasota is a... Uh, it's a a really nice city with lots of different culture and art influences and music and restaurants and the Ringling School of Arts is close to me, but it's actually like right on the borderline of like the ghetto. 
So you have this like immersion between like white collar, high end art people. And then you have like the Sarasota core people that are like the people that you see, you know, at the bus stop and sitting around at the park, hanging out, having a cigarette, listening to music together. It's, it's a pretty diverse place. It's pretty awesome. Lots of good energy here. It kind of, from I've never been, at least I don't think so. Like I might've been as a child and just not remember it. But um, mm-hmm. from what you're describing, um, it kind of gives me like a, uh, like a St. Petersburg vibe where like you have like the area around the college where it's like really, really nice and really like you have all that. And, yeah, um, it produces a really interesting counterculture. It's really unique to me because, like, something you said where, like, Florida feels like another planet, and I have to 100% agree, it really does. I think what I like about it also is, like, Florida feels like another planet, and then all of, like, the bigger cities feel like other planets inside the other planet. Yeah. You have intersecting galaxies over here. Yeah, yeah. Well, because, like, Miami, you have, like, the Miami vibe where it's, like, a lot of, like, Spanish and Cuban culture mixed with, like, Art Deco-style stuff and all that. And then you have, like, uh, Gainesville, which to me is, like, kind of a weird mix of, like, kind of college town counterculture and Mm -hmm. then, like, kind of more, like, kind of country boy redneck vibe I almost got from it. Like, it almost seems... Yeah, yeah, because, like... It, it, like that, like when I was in Gainesville, that's when I was reminded, not even like hating, but it was like, oh yeah, I'm also in the South too. And there's like the, the big pickup trucks and like, cause I grew up around that. I, I grew up in a small town. Well, I went to high school in a small town in Ohio. So I know, I know that whole world very, very well. Me too. Um, I grew up in South Jersey and it was nothing but rednecks and big trucks and big mud pipes and I mean, I, I yeah. basically grew up in the Pineland, so it was just woods, you know, woods well, and redneck fires. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I, I've heard there's a big difference between, like, like North Jersey is the more, like, kind of, like, working class, like, Italian, blue collar job, kind of, I don't want to be that guy, but I always just put Bruce Springsteen immediately into my head whenever I, I think of that. And, like, from what I've heard, I've never been to Jersey, but what I've heard is that, like, Southern Jersey is way more rural and, like, like kind of farm-oriented. It's, like, yeah. a small town. Definitely, yeah. You got it right. That's cool. That's not to be that guy, but one of my favorite things on the, like, planet is The Sopranos. And half the mm-hmm. reason I watch that show is for that, like, kind of East Orange, New Jersey accent. Um, yeah. This funny, they just re- reminded me when um, I was dating this guy on the East Coast, um, my dad was visiting my grandparents and I actually had an opportunity to introduce my dad to one of my boyfriends, which is kind of rare for me when I live that far away. He says to me, he's like, is man, your, I feel like I introduced it to the mafia. Like your dad is like so hardcore. <laughs> is your dad Italian too? Is he is, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. God. So he, well, he's Italian, and does, does he also have the Cherokee in him, too, or is that your mom's side? I was adopted, so my dad. Oh, my bad, my bad. He, he's, well, I got, like, adopted into the family, the Celepina family. That's my, uh, that's my real name, but um, my dad's mother's maiden name is Celepina. So when my sister and I got taken in, we got brought into a family that was like my biological father's father's um, cousin is my, my stepdad basically so we have the same bloodline and he's German Italian and a few other things but I mean if you see him it's just like straight Italian and the genes are so strong we have such a resemblance it's creepy <laughs> you wouldn't know you wouldn't know when we were together that I wasn't his real daughter Oh, wow. You guys just uh, molded into each other over the years. That's cool. It's really interesting because, like, you have, like, 
the Florida culture that you've kind of like learned from and definitely experienced. And then you have like New Jersey, which is very specific. And like, I like that because one of the, my favorite things that I love about America in general, and it's not really talked about too often, is the diversity from state to state and the specific, now, I'll be mad real. I've traveled through like the Midwest, Midwest, like Iowa, Kansas, shit like that. It does get real samey around there. I'm not going to deny that at all. But a lot of places, Ohio, Texas, California. Oh, oh, I'm 12 miles from Kentucky. I I know. Another one. West Virginia is is another very specific vibe. And, well, and here's the thing. With Kentucky, Kentucky's kind of divided in half. Mm-hmm. Because northern Kentucky is mm-hmm. like Cincinnati. So it's super liberal. It's like super – northern Kentucky, I'm not sure, but I know that they were very early on in, like, promoting the phrase, y'all means all for equality, mm-hmm. which is adorably southern. I like that. I, but, I want to say I think it was, like, three weeks ago was the first time I actually said y'all. <laughs> I've been in Florida <laughs> for, like, five years, and I always thought it was, like, I don't know, a lazy way of saying you all, but you would never catch me saying y'all. Like, y'all. it's you all. It's you all. And I remember, like, enunciating that one time. Like, it's not y'all. It's you all. And when I would said y'all, I was like, oh, my God, I just did it. Like, I just went there. <laughs> so thank you for telling me that it, that's what it stood for because I had no idea. Well, it did not originally stand for that. I think it is the LGBTQ community kind of trying to take it and like kind of use it because it doesn't have any like pronouns or anything like that. But it's really cool because it's kind of neat to see something that is like kind of traditionally Southern be used in a more like progressive way and like kind of used in a way that's kind of not what you would really expect from it. Now I have to say, this is how Kentucky is also. If you went to them and you were like, it's actually you all, they, this is what they would, they'd be like, well, who the hell do you think you are? Like they get so uppity so quick about, like they do not put up with outsiders at all. It's so funny. Okay, to give a little background, I live in Cincinnati and I mean, is they don't want it. Cincinnati, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very like trying to be like L.A. And there's just a lot of uh, I mean, it's also very blue collar, too, because it is a Midwestern city. But there there's a very big arts community here. There's a lot of people who kind of come in for like music and stuff like that, because we have a lot of like like Cincinnati, UC, University of Cincinnati's music school is like one of the best in the country. So there's a lot of like that kind of shit floating around, which isn't bad. I, I you know, it's pretty cool. I do want to get into, because we brought it up, I wanted to talk a little bit about Virginia and Richmond and stuff like that, because yeah. that's a that's a specific town like i know richmond mostly for hip-hop um did you have like any experience over there with that kind of stuff no not really i i moved there in the burbs at first so it was very old town type people seniors it was my first time really understanding what the term the bible belt meant (laughs) Um, oh yeah oh oh, yeah yeah. and uh and after I had broken off an engagement with my fiance I moved into my own place in uh in downtown Richmond and that's where I started really like getting into my own element with my artwork and bought a a professional camera and started you know just wandering around the streets of Richmond and picking up street photography and I didn't know what I was doing I had no idea what this camera was capable of I didn't know what any function was capable of but 
I had gone out and just done like natural lighting type things. Um, and I remember this one picture I took, I, I called it uh, through the looking glass and it was a broken bottle, the bottom of a broken bottle on this front porch. And the, the way that this picture came out was the porch was like completely white. And then the broken bottle was um, the way that the light went through it, through this brown glass, you had like these little glimmerings of like ambers and purples. And are I- you, Are you shooting digital or film? Yeah, digital. And okay, that's cool. That's an interesting I went effect. Home. I went home and I looked at this picture and I was like, bro, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I love this shit. And that was like, that was my, my speed, I guess you could say, to like keep going. Like it, it really gave me an incentive to keep doing what I was doing and yeah. gave me motivation. And, and I was like, this is dope shit. I love it. So I kept going. And, um, I feel it. Kind of interesting that you kind of stumbled onto the the uh, through the looking glass piece the way that you did. Because, uh, like, I mean, to be honest, uh, that's what you did naturally with a camera. And I, I'm kind of curious. Like, I would love to. It's like one of those like uh, photographic mysteries. You know what I mean? But it's basically what I do for my art project. Let me ask you, like you started getting into, you know, taking uh, photos and stuff, well, picture, yeah, photos or pictures, whatever, who cares. <laughs> but um, is it something that you still kind of do today? Is it something that you put down or what's the scoop on that? No, um, I've lost a lot of things along the road. I've been uh, going through a lot of homelessness problems in Florida. So personal items and collectibles and sentimental things don't really linger around too long when you're on that track of, of life. Um, so I've actually had two Canon DSLRs in the past five years, and they're both gone. I've had a MacBook that's gone. Um, my I guess the things I'm working on now is just, I guess, just trying to re-inspire myself. I've had a lot of emotional trauma I've been dealing with. And so art's been helping me with that. And it's also something that I've recognized as such an important part of my own recovery that I've incorporated it in, in a lifestyle with other people as well. Like when I got on the streets, I literally was out there with a coloring book and pencils. And I would say to these people on the streets of Sarasota outside the homeless shelter, I'm like, do you want to color with me? <laughs> like, <laughs> and it was like so obscure to them, you know, this, these are like, you know, the, your typical drug dealer and prostitutes. And I'm sitting next to them on the curb. And I'm like, do you want to color? <laughs> so, um, that's something I, I, evaluated as being really important to continue with but also um I've just been doing some some painting some I had a watercolor crayons I had done something with recently so I try to just do things at the pace that I feel comfortable in I'm that starving artist so art supplies aren't really easy to come by and then another issue I'm dealing with with not using a camera like I used to is uh, having a neck injury. So holding things and carrying things and doing things for a long length of time is very uncomfortable for me. So I can't say with 100% confidence that that's something I would even really be capable of doing like I used to um, and have the same type of enjoyment in. But I try to stay active and, and be my own advocate for healing and and I found it to be so therapeutic you know art therapy is so undervalued and now that we're in COVID times and we're in this you know dealing with all these systematic issues of of tyranny and corruption and and uh poverty and you know it's brought everything full circle and it's impacted people in a way that it doesn't matter how much money you had made. It doesn't matter, you know, what your family upbringing is like. You're, we're all like basically streamlined 
in this same way now that we're so vulnerable. And I found it like so critical to keep this art thing incorporated in my life because it's so important, not just for people like me that have gone through things so recently, but for people to be in this new state, uh, state of consciousness where they're more stuck with their own thoughts and karma than they've ever had the time or attention to delve into before. So I think it's really important now for people and I'm trying to stay focused in that and use my own background and skills and like incorporation in my own healing to keep that in tune with others at, at this time. Yeah, that's a powerful skill to have. And Americans haven't, we got very, 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 very comfortable. And, yeah. you know, a lot of people who never had to do any soul searching because they were just go, 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 go all the time. And mm. for the last couple of months, you couldn't go. You couldn't go anywhere. I mean, if you look at like not just the people not to get like grim or heavy but if you look not just at the people who have like died from coronavirus but like people who just don't have the mental health to kind of handle the situation i've had mental health things and i've i'm i guess gonna come out there and say i've tried to commit suicide i put a knife through my chest I slit my wrist like I went there so I know but if I had not gone through that part of my life I wouldn't be where I am and I wouldn't be able to handle like this pressure you know this this 100%. being stuck inside and being like in a mental prison with your own self and karma like this is a big eye-opener but I feel like I've been in like some kind, kind of, of like special training for it. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I'm honestly kind of ready for uh, the Mad Max style universe. Um, I'm just going to like, at that point, I probably will start smoking cocaine. Cause I mean, fuck it. Why not? I'm going to ride on the hood of a car. I want to make it at least somewhat enjoyable. Um, <laughs> but I would be so ready for, any kind of uh, like survival series. Cause I mean, we've, uh, we've been too comfortable for too long. Some of the sketches I've done with, with my stuff, I did LSD and I sat there with my sketchbook and I was just channeling and they came out to be really awesome pictures. But I, I think if maybe people were more open-minded and incorporated I don't want to say drugs because in my opinion, drugs are like Prozac and Wellbutrin and Xanax and having my native American culture, like plant-based things and having a college degree with holistic health. Like I find it so critical that people be more in tune with what earth has provided for us. You know, like we don't need, we don't need to go into a pill bottle. We just need to pick a plant, you know, and um, use it to our best advantages. And that's going to be using it with the power of our spirit. And when you intertwine your human nature and your deep emotions and you allow yourself to be in tune with what you can channel with, uh, the power of, of, of a plant and your own human brain, there's so much potential. It's astounding. And that's the biggest, I think, yeah. thing for me and, and my creative part is that I've utilized these, these um, substances and it's allowed me to, to create and to have a space in my mind where I can get into that, that set of, thought where I can get it out of my of my head and my soul and if people embrace that more I think we would be better people as as a human race
Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I, I don't particularly come from any kind of like spiritual or anything like that background, but I just don't have any desire to like take a quote unquote drug from like a major corporation. It just that kind of, I mean, it's one thing if it's like antibiotics, but like Xanax or like something like that. That like that just kind of kind of creeps me out, you know. I mean, I, I guess you could, you know, make an argue if you need like a antipsychotic or something like that. But like, I mean, I we're, think the antipsychotic I, is art. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I I mean, I will I will say you know like. I've spent a little bit of time uh, in jail and stuff like that. And you do like meet people who like are just like crazy and just like need some type of like, you know, some kind of drug that like, uh, like I remember being like having this dude in our block who like would just like trip out and think that like dragons were attacking him. And like, and it's like, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, and it's like that guy, you know, probably needs some type of, you know, sedation or what it is. Maybe not sedation, but like something to, you know, I don't know what all the medical stuff is, but sounds like um, he needs some psychoblin, which is found in mushrooms. Yeah, I mean, we as America are very overprescribed in general. Uh, I mean, my area that I live in is a very good example of it. We were the mm-hmm. epicenter for the heroin opioid crisis in america god do you do you often use drugs to create or is it just like happen to be kind of thing or is it like a nice mix i mean obviously i think most creatives smoke pot when they do something like it's a mix my my thing um because of my uh neck and back problems i have i've had to find alternative ways for pain management and my pain levels are crippling. I mean, it would, they would, grown men would be on their knees if they felt like I felt day in and day out. And um, so I've had to find alternative ways to avoid things like muscle relaxers and um, opiates. So ventured off towards cocaine and marijuana. And I even did LSD one time because I just felt like so close to death. I couldn't get out of bed and I had some tabs and, the um, nightstand next to me, I was like, this is it. And it takes my pain away. It alters my consciousness. It gets me out of like this, this, oh my God, I'm stuck state of shock. I mean, it, it I get into the point where I'm like in shock and trauma basically, because I feel so terrible. Let me, so let me ask you this. Are, are, yeah. Do you, do you take like LSD like more regularly or like cocaine more regularly? Like what's your, uh, what's your Hunter S. Thompson like daily intake? Cocaine. It's, it's strong. It's fast acting and it's accessible. Does it help with pain? Does A it, lot. does it? No yeah. shit. Well, that, that I, makes sense. I snort it. I used to snort it. And then I found it just as effective to smoke it. And I like yeah. smoking. And I've been a smoker. I smoke like a, a cheat. So it's like. How, okay. So like, do you, I, cause I'm like a noob to something like that. How do you like smoke it? Like, is it. Hold on. Um, you put it in a, in a glass pipe. Like a, like a bowl or more like uh like one of the. Do you want to see it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can, you can, that's up to you. You're more than welcome to show. I'm, I'm generally oh. curious. Yeah, I've been seeing where it is, but, okay, so I'll explain it to you. It's, it's a glass pipe about yay big, about the length of your finger, your index finger. Is it like and one of the little, like, like, beaker pipe type, type things? Yeah, yeah, it's okay. just a straight tube um, okay. that you'd see in, like, a chemistry class, and um, then you uh, put some, like, metal, like, it's like string size metal at the top of the, the pipe and you like crush it up to like pack it in. And that's what heats the cocaine and it absorbs and filters um, the chemicals and substances that they use to solidify the cocaine. So you're not inhaling any chemicals. You're just getting the cocaine. That, that is so ingenious i, I kind of i like i like and, and and okay 
so let me let me pop off for a second because like one it, it takes me back because like I'm a history person and it, um, gift baskets are have been around for way longer than people think and one of the things that uh, parents of soldiers who were in World War One would do mm-hmm. is send them gift baskets and the gift baskets would be filled with like little serrets of cocaine and like heroin and shit like that. Yeah, I believe it. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, it, at that period of time, it was actually it was the Bohemian era, so everybody was mm-hmm. about about it when it came to the party. Um, yeah. And well, I didn't even say it would be party; it was more like lifestyle choice. But yeah. I uh, am a big fan of Hunter S. Thompson, so I always really enjoy learning about different types of lack of a better way to put it uh your drug daily intake um just because it's it's kind of fun to learn but my second point is like it's probably not your experience but my experience with cocaine is that i just want to like get up and go do shit and just like get shit done and stuff like that so to be in your position where you're like kind of injured and it's hard for you to really like kind of do a lot of uh, stuff. Yeah, I can it, it gets me out of bed, you know, it, it allows me to brush my hair, brush my teeth, yeah. uh, hold the phone in my to... hands long enough to do something. Like, I smoked before I called you. <laughs> like, that's why hell I was yeah. like, all right, I'm ready. <laughs> hell yeah, hell yeah. Um, do, you, do you go to, like, rehab for your neck, or is it just, like, a permanent thing where it's a you permanent have to kind of... Thing. It's just oh, that's, really that's so management. sorry to hear that. Me too. It's it's brought a lot of uh, sensitivity into um, into my day to day activities, and it's it's kind of hard to have relationships with people and stay in contact and participate in things that I used to be able to do. I've always been an athlete, you know. I've always been able to work and take care of myself. I waitressed through college. I nannied. I I rode. I played field hockey. I ran. I bowled. I mean, I was so active surfing wave running i mean everything every sport you can think of i did it and i mean you asked me if i like still do photography and you know my answer was that's that's thinking to myself that's a heavy camera like that'd be difficult for me so it's been a very life-altering thing for me and it's it's challenging to have relationships and you know it's it's a daily struggle but I yeah, keep, yeah. I keep together, I'd say. Um, now, uh, feel free to, you know, not answer this question if you don't want to, but, to, like, do you, like, make money? Like, do you do other things to, like, make money, like, now that you're, like, injured? Or are you, like, on, like, some kind of disability or is it something like disability. that? Disability, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's – at least you have some type of, you know, financial compensation to where, you know, have yeah. a little bit of money in the bank account. It's huge. Know? I wouldn't be able to live without it. I mean, it's, it's critical. It's kind of a random side thought, but it kind of reminds me, do you know the band Deftones? I love Deftones. Do you know how Deftones got started? No. Deftones got started because the lead singer of the band uh, was hit by a drunk driver and it broke okay. his leg. And the guy, like, he basically... I don't know if he sued or maybe just got an insurance settlement. I'm not too sure on that, but he got like $50,000 and that's what funded the original band. Wow. That's yeah, yeah. awesome. Yeah. So like, you know, there's living proof that, you know, anything that you want to do, you know, you can, uh, you can definitely, you know, if you, if your heart's in it, you definitely can uh, get, yeah. get it done. And, there's strength uh, and pain, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and it might be of interest because I know we were talking the other day about, you know, ideas for your, um, you know, your uh, children's book and stuff like that. You know, it might be of interest to, you know, talk about the fact that you are disabled and the fact that you are struggling with this, um, you know, so that people that are going through something like that can you know, have a sense of relatability with you and have a sense of, uh, I've done that through Instagram and a little bit with, I'd say the biggest thing I've not really been too open and exposure friendly to is 
my experiences with homelessness and prostitution. Like that's, that was a big thing between losing my house and not having any resources and just being uh, let go through the cracks of society and its failures and ending up on the streets. I mean, I slept on the curb, Um, you know, it, it wasn't glamorous. Hey folks. So unfortunately, Angela's phone died in the middle of the uh, recording right at that spot. So we didn't get to actually close out this episode. I apologize for that. You know, it was kind of a spur of the moment accident type of thing. But tune in uh, for next week's episode. Pretty stoked for it. We're going to have some good stuff for you. And uh, that discussion about medicine was pretty fun, wasn't it?